I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 14. While you're turning there, I want to ask you a question and you can be honest with me. Okay? Are you getting a little tired of all the kings? It wouldn't surprise me if you were because I think I am a little myself. I think we're supposed to feel that when we read it. Right? God has built it into 2 Kings that we get kind of tired of it while we're reading it. Because it's a biblical broken record, right? And the song that's playing isn't very happy. This week as Marilyn was reading today's chapters, trying to find a theme to put on the front of your bulletin, that she always tries to look at the the passage and then find something to go on the front of your bulletin that goes with it. And all she, she said to me, all I can see is bad kings doing bad things. And she suggested once again that I use that as the title for my sermon. There's a lot of sad repetition in the books of Kings. We're going to see more of it today. We're coming close to the end. If you, if you think of that as good news, we're coming close to the end. And in some ways, the broken record is going to speed up. Same skip, same song, but faster as it goes around. We're going to look at ten different kings today, both north and south in parallel. And the general direction is downward Many more thumbs down than thumbs up. And soon all of those thumbs down will catch up with these two kingdoms. And they will be dealing with exile. But there are some good things sprinkled in there. Some good kings sprinkled in there. And some good things too. So with apologies to Dr. Seuss, this is the title I finally landed on for today's message. Good kings, bad kings. Good things, bad things. Feel like you read that one when you were a little kid? Because it's all in there. And in fact, this week's stories bring these four susical sounding items together in some pretty unexpected ways. Expect some surprises. Some twists and turns in the story. So let's pray together and then dip right back into the books of Kings. Let's pray. Father, we've been singing about the King of Kings. This one who paid our debt and raised our life up from the dead. Help us, Lord, as we look at these disappointing examples of kingship for our eyes to be ever looking at the real point of the book, and that is the King of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to get Him from from these chapters of Your Holy Word. We pray it in His name. And all God's people said, Amen. We're going to read three chapters of God's Word this morning, but I only have three points that I want to make as we do. And here is number one. Good kings can do bad things. Good kings can do bad things. And the case in point is King Amaziah. 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 1. You with me? In the second year of Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, who we learned about last week, Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, began to reign he was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in jerusalem in the south 29 years his mother's name was jehoadin she was from jerusalem and here's our big question thumbs up or thumbs down right he's not from the north so there's a chance he'll be thumbs up and he is verse three he did what was right 
in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father David had done. In everything, he followed the example of his father Joash. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Stop there for just a second. So this guy was a good king. He's at least one thumbs up because of the first part of verse 3. Why does it seem like there always has to be a second part to those verses, right? It says he was more like his father Joash, the boy king who started well but then crashed and burned. Then he was like David, the man after God's own heart. So Amaziah worshipped correctly at the start, but he didn't make a clean sweep. And it came back to bite him. When will we ever learn that God wants our whole hearts? I think that's one thing that God has been impressing upon me all the way through First and Second Kings is God wants our whole hearts. Not just a part, not just, not just half. Whole. Verse 3 didn't have to read this way. These kings didn't have to choose half-heartedness, but so many did. He started out well. Verse 5, after the kingdom was firmly in his grasp, he executed the officials who had murdered his father, the king. Yet, he did not put the sons of the assassins to death in accordance with what is written in the book of the law of Moses, Deuteronomy twenty-four sixteen, where the Lord commanded, fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their fathers. Each is to die for his own sins. Good on you, Amaziah. Well done. You are a good king. You're following the law. That was the one job, right, of the king. And he was doing it. But just because he's a good king doesn't mean he can't do bad things. Verse 7. He was the one who defeated 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt and captured Selah in a battle, calling it Jokthiel, the name it has to this day. Now that's a big victory. 10,000? But it apparently went right to his head. Amaziah began to get prideful and cocky. I think that foreign gods played into this as well. If you read the synoptic account in Second Chronicles, you find that out. But what the author of Kings brings out is his cockiness. Amaziah thinks he can lick the world, including his near neighbor to the north. Verse 8. Then Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, with the challenge, come meet me face to face. Okay? Let's go. Let's rumble. This guy, this guy here, Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, is the guy we were reading about just last week. He's the guy with the, with the arrows, and he only hits them three times on the ground. Okay? This is the battle that was, that was talked about there. But Jehoash, king of Israel, replied to Amaziah, king of Judah, a thistle in Lebanon sent a message to a cedar in Lebanon, Give your daughter to my son in marriage. Then a wild beast in Lebanon came along and trampled the thistle underfoot. You have indeed indeed defeated Edom, and now you're arrogant. Glory in your victory, but stay at home. Why ask for trouble and cause your own downfall, and that of Judah also? You see how this is, right? This is a little trash talking, both directions. This is like the the press conference before the battle, where they're both talking about the the other team. I don't think you want a piece of this, Amaziah. Right? But Amaziah says, oh yes I do. Verse 11. Amaziah, however, would not listen. So Jehoash, king of Israel, attacked. He and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced each other at Beth Shemesh in Judah. 
This is civil war, right? This is north versus south. Judah was routed by Israel, and every man fled to his home. Here's how bad the defeat was. Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh. Then Jehoash went to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate, a section about 600 feet long. He took all the gold and silver and all the articles found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace. He also took hostages and returned to Samaria. Okay, you paying attention? Which king won this battle? The thumbs up king or the thumbs down king? The thumbs down guy won the battle. Same God. God gives the victory to the guy in the north who was two thumbs down, we saw last week, when the guy in the south started out with at least one thumb up. Because good kings can do bad things. Now put yourself for just a second in in Amaziah's shoes. For just a second. When you see this picture of the thumbs, do you ever put yourself in in the shoes of the king's And ask yourself, are you thumbs up or thumbs down? I don't know about you, but I tend to assume that I would do better. Put me in charge. Put me in coach. I'll be thumbs up. I wouldn't be perfect, sure, but I would understand there's just one job and I needed to do it. I need to trust and obey Yahweh and lead others to do the same. And I do want to. So I hope that I would be a thumbs up king. But it's right that I can fall. It's right then that I can fall. It's right then when I begin to see myself as good, as a winner for God. He'll be so happy to have me on his team that I can get prideful and cocky like Amaziah. The Bible says if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. Amaziah would not listen. And he paid for it. Don't think that you're above it all. Don't think you got this handled. You and I are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. Good Christians can do bad things. Don't fool yourself into thinking you're safe and can play around with fire. There's only one good king who never did any bad things. And that's the King of Kings. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 15 through 22 tell the rest of the story for both Amaziah and his northern opponent. Look at verse 15. As for the other events of the reign of Jehoash, what he did and his achievements, including his war against Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Jehoash rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. And Jeroboam, his son, succeeded him as king. Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, lived for 15 years after the death of Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, the one who captured him. As for the other events of Amaziah's reign, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? They conspired against him, the good king, in Jerusalem. And he fled to Lachish, but they sent men after him to Lachish and killed him there. He was brought back by horse and was buried in Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. Then all the people of Judah took Azariah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. He was the one who built Elath and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his fathers. So now we turn to this Jeroboam, Jeroboam II, the king in the north in Israel, verse 23. 
In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned forty-one years. Now note this, okay? This is the third generation after Jehu. How many generations did God say Jehu would have? Four, right? Jehu gets four generations, okay? And this guy is third, the third generation. Is this guy thumbs up or thumbs down? Hint, he's a king in the north. That means he's thumbs down, right? Verse 24, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. Two thumbs completely down. He's like his old namesake, Jeroboam I, son of Nebat. But friends, here's the twist. The Lord used him for good. Okay, here's number two. Surprise, God can use bad kings to do good things. God can use bad things to do good things. Here's what he did, verse 25. He, Jeroboam II, was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebohamoth to the Sea of the Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. Yes, that Jonah. Did you ever know that Jonah was in other books than Jonah? This is the period also when Hosea and Amos are doing their prophetic thing. Elijah and Elisha have moved off the scene, but there are still prophets out there, and these are writing prophets. We still have Hosea, Amos, and, and Jonah's books. Now, we don't know exactly what the Lord said through Jonah, but it is included, but it included a promise that the boundaries of the northern kingdom would be restored for a time. Now, did they deserve that up there in the north? Had they done something? Did did Jeroboam somehow get half a thumb up on the thumb meter to deserve this kind of treatment for his his nation? No. It's just sheer mercy. It's more compassion. It's it's more covenant-keeping compassion from the Lord. Look at verse 26. The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said He would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, He saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. The two thumbs down king was the Savior. Now this is no reason to go out and become a bad king type person because you know God can still use you. We shouldn't sin all the more so that grace may abound. But this should help us when we look around and we see bad things happening, bad situations unfolding, and we can't imagine how anything good could come from them. Friends, God can use bad people to accomplish His good purposes. That's the story of the Bible. That's Joseph's brothers intending his kidnapping for evil, but God intending it for good. That's wicked foreign kings like Xerxes, who we studied in Sunday school this morning, ending up making laws that protect the Jews. That's wicked kings like Herod and rulers like Pontius Pilate and the Sanhedrin conspiring to crucify our Lord so that ultimately we can be saved. Now this does not excuse any sinful behavior. And it doesn't get Jeroboam II off of the hook for his sins. It doesn't whitewash him at all. But we can rest assured that God in His sovereign providence can work together all the evil actions that swirl around us and are even directed at us and turn them to His glory and our good. Amen? 
Verse 28. As for the other events of Jeroboam's reign and all he did, and his military achievements, including how he recovered for Israel both Damascus and Hamath, which had belonged to Yaudi, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Jeroboam rested with his fathers, the kings of Israel, and Zechariah, his son, succeeded him as king. And then we turn our attention again to the south. Chapter 15, verse 1. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, began to reign. This fellow has another name that he goes by also in the Bible, which might be more familiar to you. It's King Uzziah. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. At least one thumbs up. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. The Lord afflicted the king with leprosy until the day he died and he lived in a separate house. Jotham, the king's son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. As for the other events of Azariah's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? Azariah rested with his fathers and was buried near them in the city of David, and Jotham, his son, succeeded him as king. Do you know what that was? What I just read? That was the year that King Uzziah died. Those words familiar to you? Isaiah 6. It was the beginning of the ministry of Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. That's this moment. There have been 52 stable years in Judah. But it was the opposite in Israel. They are now going to become very unstable. When I looked in my uh, commentaries on, on, first King, on 2 Kings 15, it said, Israel disintegrates. That was the heading. Israel disintegrates, verse 8. In the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Zechariah, son of Jeroboam, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned six months. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his fathers had done. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. Shalom, son of Jabesh, conspired against Zechariah. He attacked him in front of the people, assassinated him, and succeeded him as king. The other events of Zechariah's reign are written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel. Catch this. So the word of the Lord spoken to Jehu was fulfilled. Your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. King Zechariah was the fourth. God keeps his promises. Promise kept. Does, does that mean that the Lord approved of Shalom's assassination? No. It just means that he used it. God can use bad kings to do good things, including keeping his promises. Shalom fared even worse. Verse 13, Shalom son of Jabesh became king in the 39th year of Uzziah king of Judah and he reigned in Samaria one month. Then Menahem son of Gadi went up from Tirzah up to Samaria. He attacked Shalom son of Jabesh in Samaria, assassinated him and succeeded him as king. The other events of Shalom's reign and, his, and the conspiracy he led are written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel. At that time, Menahem, starting out from Tirzah, attacked Tifshah, Tifsah and everyone in the city and its vicinity because they refused to open their gates. He sacked Tifsah and ripped open all the pregnant women. 
In the 39th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Menahem, son of Gadi, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria ten years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. During his entire reign, he did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. Then Pu, king of Assyria, invaded the land. And Menahem gave him a thousand talents of silver to gain his support and strengthen his own hold on the kingdom. Menahem exacted this money from Israel. Every wealthy man had to contribute 50 shekels of silver to be given to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria withdrew and stayed in the land no longer. This pull, this pull, who's the king of Assyria, also goes by another name which might be familiar to you. It's Tiglath-Pileser III. You might have heard of him in your world history classes in school. And the the uh, advent, the arrival of Pul, king of Assyria, on the scene marks the beginning of the end for the northern kingdom of Israel. A new threat that spells bad news. From here to the end of the book, the word Assyria is going to be repeated 48 times. It hangs over them like a dark, dark cloud. This evil man, Menahem, buys Pul off for the time being, but it won't last forever. Verse 21. As for the other events of Menahem's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Menahem rested with his fathers, and Pekahiah his son succeeded him as king. In the fiftieth year of Azariah king of Judah, Pekahiah son of Menahem became king of Israel and Samaria, and he reigned two years. Pekahiah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam son of Nebat, which he caused Israel to commit. One of his chief officers, Pekah, son of Remaliah, conspired against him. Taking 50 men of Gilead with him, he assassinated Pekahiah along with Argob and Aria in the citadel of the royal palace at Samaria. So Pekah killed Pekahiah and succeeded him as king. The other events of Pekahiah's reign and all he did are written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel. In the 52nd year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekah, son of Remaliah, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 20 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not turn away from the sons of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he'd caused Israel to commit. In the time of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and took Ejon, Abel, Beth Maaka, Jonoah, Kadesh, and Hazor. He took Gilead and Galilee, including all the land of Naphtali, and deported the people to Assyria. Then Hoshea, son of Elah, conspired against Pekah, son of Remaliah. He attacked and assassinated him, and then succeeded him as king in the twentieth year of Jotham, son of Uzziah. As for the other events of Pekah's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Broken record much? Here's the third and last point I want to make today. It's not as surprising as the first two, but it's still important for us to get. Bad kings turn to the wrong things. Or you could say bad things, but I didn't mean to, I didn't want it to say it, they turned into bad things, though they do. Bad kings turn to the wrong things. Do you hear the broken record? The new thing, there's a new thing going on, right? It's how many assassinations there are. There's more kings getting assassinated in the north at this point than are succeeding their fathers to the throne. There had been some assassinations earlier, but now it's like almost every time. But the old thing, the the very old, boring, repetitious, and banal thing is that these guys don't turn. 
He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. They kept turning in the wrong direction. And it's going to turn out bad for them. That's what Hosea and Amos are preaching about at this point in their ministries. Read their books. Go home this afternoon and read Amos from from beginning to end. Or read Hosea from beginning to end. What do they say again and again? Turn! Turn! Repent! Don't go that way! No, danger! No, the bridge is out! Don't go there! Don't follow idols! Don't turn your back on justice! Turn! Turn! The Hebrew word for turn or repent is shuv. And uh, Walt Kaiser, the Old Testament uh, scholar, likes to say that the prophets kept wanting to give Israel a shuv. Right? Turn! Shuv! Turn! Repent! Jotham is a little bright light in a dark time for both kingdoms. Verse 32. In the second year of Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. This would be during the ministries of Isaiah and of Micah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. His mother's name was Jerusha, daughter of Zadok. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzziah had done. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Jotham rebuilt the upper gate of the temple of the Lord. As for the other events of Jotham's reign and what he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? In those days, the Lord began to send Rezin, king of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, against Judah. Jotham rested with his fathers and was buried with them in the city of David and the city of his father. And Ahaz, his son, succeeded him as king. So Ahaz, thumbs up or thumbs down. What do you know about King Ahaz? He's in the south. So there's a, there's a chance he's good. His daddy was good. We just read that. But alas, Ahaz is two thumbs down. Chapter 16, verse 1. In the 17th year of Pekah, son of Remaliah, Ahaz, son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Unlike David, his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. You'd think, looking up there at the the north, he'd say, I don't want to go there. But that's exactly where he wants to go. And even sacrificed his son in the fire, following the detestable ways of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Ahaz offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the high places, on the hilltops and under every spreading tree. Then Rezin, king of Aram, And Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem and besieged Ahaz, but they could not overpower him. At that time, Rezin, king of Aram, recovered Elath for Aram by driving out the men of Judah. Edomites then moved into Elath and have lived there to this day. This crisis, these two kings marching in on Jerusalem, is something that we learned about as a church two years ago at Christmas time. The story is also recorded in Isaiah chapter 7. And eight, where the prophet Isaiah warns King Ahaz that he should not rely on anyone but God to deal with the problem he has with Rezin and Pekah. And Isaiah gives Ahaz a sign. Do you know what it was? Something to do with a virgin having a baby and the name Emmanuel. But see, King Ahaz is a bad king. And he turns to the wrong thing. 
he turns to Assyria for help. Verse 7. Assyria. Ahaz sent messengers to say to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, I am your servant and vassal. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Aram and of the king of Israel who are attacking me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace and sent it as a gift to the king of Assyria. Oh, okay, sure, while you've got money, I'm your friend. The king of Assyria complied by attacking Damascus and capturing it. He deported its inhabitants to Kerr and put resin to death. Then King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. He saw an altar in Damascus, and boy, did he like it. He sent to Uriah the priest a sketch of the altar with detailed plans for its construction. A pagan altar from Syria where the Assyrians are now in charge. And David's great, 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 however many greats grandson wants an altar in Jerusalem, just like they have up there. Verse 11. So Uriah the priest built an altar in accordance with all the plans that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus and finished it before King Ahaz returned. When the king came back from Damascus and saw the altar, he approached it and presented offerings on it himself. The king, not a priest, he offered up his burnt offering and grain offering, poured out his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his fellowship offerings on that altar, the bronze altar that stood before the Lord. He brought from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the temple of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the new altar. King Ahaz then gave these orders to Uriah the priest. Hey, I got a new idea. Let's do it different. Then the Lord said, on the large new altar, offer the morning burnt offering and the evening grain offering, the king's burnt offering and his grain offering, and the burnt offering of all the people of the land and their grain offerings and their drink offering. Sprinkle on the altar all the blood of the burnt offerings and sacrifices. But I'll use the bronze altar for seeking guidance. Going to do it my way. And his leaders just enabled him to carry on like this. Verse 16. And Uriah the priest did just as King Ahaz had ordered. King Ahaz took away the side panels and removed the basins from the movable stands. He removed the sea from the bronze bulls that supported it and set it on a stone base. He took away the Sabbath canopy that had built at the temple and removed the royal entryway outside the temple of the Lord. He's the anti-Solomon. He's the anti-Joash. Why did he do all this? What's it say? In deference to the king of Assyria. As for the other events of the reign of Ahaz and what he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? Ahaz rested with his fathers and was buried with them in the city of David, and Hezekiah, his son, succeeded him as king. Hezekiah will set a lot of this back to rights. He'll be another bright light in a dark time. We'll see that in a few weeks. But King Ahaz was a sad failure. He kept turning to the wrong things. See, our hearts are prone, right? Which way, which way are you turning? Not just to idols, which is bad enough, but to trusting in the power of another nation as Savior and trusting in His money to get Him out of a jam. Bad kings turn to the wrong things. Do you see how He lives to please His new Master? Whatever you look to save you, you're going to want to please. I am your servant and vassal. Let me change our worship to please your worships. He wants to become like them. He acts like Jeroboam, redesigning his worship to fit his tastes. But more than that, he changes to become like his foreign masters. Here's the question for you and me. What are we turning to? Right? Where, where, where is your heart directed? Examine your heart. What are you trusting in? What are you leaning on? On Christ the solid rock I stand? All other ground is shifting sand? 
Or you know what? Maybe Assyria can help me out today. It's easy to throw stones at Ahaz. He's an easy target. He deserves it. But how often do we turn to the wrong things for our safety and security and identity? What might Assyria be for you? How are you changing to become like the world? Whom are you trying to please? Bad kings turn to the wrong things, but so can we. Turn. Shuv. Turn back to lean on Jesus. Not just for salvation, though that's incredibly important, but for everything that really matters in life. Safety, security, identity, satisfaction. Turn back to lean on Jesus. When all around my soul gives way, when Pika and Resin are threatening me, Jesus is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Shuv. Turn. Not just once, but as often as it takes to fully find ourselves trusting and hoping in Him. Because He's the good King that never did a bad thing. He's the good King that can take all of the bad things in our life and work them to our good. He's the good king whom we can trust fully with all of our hearts. The King of kings, Jesus Christ.